0: Thank you. Thank you for reading so well. Well, it feels like we've covered some ground this morning. So God is at work in a lot of different ways, and uh, it's good to see so many, uh, and hear from so many different people about how God is at work and to engage uh, all of us in different ways. I'm going to begin this morning by asking you if you have a favorite restaurant. If you have a favorite restaurant This last year, uh, Nita and I have tried to, well, especially during the COVID shutdown, Nita and I tried to eat out more often, especially ordering takeout, more often to do a small part in keeping some of our favorite restaurants in business. And one of the things that we discovered may surprise you is that we got a little bit hooked on sushi I think we had eaten it before but i somehow the rhythm of this that year really we we got we really came to enjoy it a lot so one of our favorite one of my favorite restaurants is the kanji restaurant here in mount joy it's in front of giant uh, where they have really good sushi we also discovered the sushi one on Drupal pike in lancaster which we really like a lot um, another place we've enjoyed is himalayan grill on orange street in lancaster and for the meat eaters among you we also enjoy harvey's here in mount joy so that's our short list for now, but uh, whenever somebody asks me if you have a favorite something, my, the way my brain works, it's always hard for me to pick one. I always think, well, I like these in different ways, and I give you a longer answer than you want. Anyway, so I've been thinking about this, my favorite restaurants uh, in this last few weeks as we've been on this sermon series on stepping up in our relationships. We've been talking about how Christians, appro- how we approach relationships as followers of Jesus, and it started me thinking about my relationship, if you call it that, to my favorite restaurants. <laughs> and thinking, what is, what is the nature of that relationship? Several things I noticed about that relationship, and you see one there already on the screen, and that is that I'm in charge of that relationship, right? I, the, the, my restaurant isn't in charge of that relationship, I am. It's up to me. I get to choose when I go. I get to choose how often I go. I get to choose how much I engage, or how much I spend. I'm in charge of those things, and I don't expect them to really require anything of me or I mean maybe they have guidelines safety guidelines for if I go there but otherwise I don't really expect them to require anything of me also in that relationship I realize that the focus is on me my relationship with my favorite restaurant is mostly about my experience of that restaurant right and how satisfied I am with their products I also noticed that I can change my mind at any time I can pick a different favorite tomorrow if I want to or next week, and I can say, well, no, that one's no longer my favorite. This one is my favorite now. And so my, my commitment to my favorite restaurant only really lasts as long as my good feelings, my positive feelings last about that restaurant. And finally, I realized that I'm not invested in the, in the restaurant. One restaurant that you may remember a few years ago, we had Upohar do some catering for us. They had a restaurant in Lancaster that we went to together, uh, but they've, they've closed that restaurant. And I'm disappointed about that, but I wasn't invested, or I didn't lose any money, and so I'll just go elsewhere. I'm not really invested in the future or the flourishing of my favorite restaurants other than I might be disappointed if they go away. All those same things are true if I buy a new car, right? I'm in charge of the decision. I can change my mind at any time about w- which one I want. The focus of that decision is on me and on my p- pleasing me. And if for some reason my, my pick, my favorite car isn't available, I'll just, pick, I'll just pick a different one and I'll just move on. Yeah, that is rain, by the way, if you hear that. That's the, on the roof up above us, but I'll try to shout over it if it gets, gets louder. But what would you think, what would you think if I approach my friendships in the same way that I approach my favorite restaurants? After all, I'm a customer. As you see there, I'm a customer on my favorite restaurant, but what if I were to approach my friendships this way, where I choose, I'm in charge, I'm the one who makes the choice, choices about my friends the focus in that relationships in my friendships is on pleasing me and on how, how long I'm satisfied or what my experience is with my friends I can change my friends at any time after all they kind of come and go and if one so if one friendship fades I'll just pick another one well I hope that sounds a little strange to you to think of my friendships from a customer mindset I mean, maybe we think a little bit like that, some of these things, but at, at its base, that shouldn't really be the, the main way I think about my friendships. What about my marriage, my marriage relationship? In my marriage, what if I, in my marriage, if I, if I choose, if I think of, if I approach it like a customer and I think, well, I choose to whom I marry, well, maybe that's okay, but then I think, well, the focus is on me after all and on my satisfaction, and on my experience of my marriage. And if, if that starts to fade, I'll just pick another one. After all, I'm in charge of this decision. I'm not really invested in the future or the flourishing of my marriage, because if this one ends, I'll just, I'll just arrange another one. And I hope that sounds really strange to you. I think we, I think we crossed a line in that one, right? It just doesn't make any sense for me to approach my marriage as a customer, And that's because our our friendships and our marriages especially aren't, aren't products that we buy or that we trade in when they stop pleasing us or when they start to fade. And regardless of whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, I think you know that you can't approach your relationships like a customer. You really need to approach them more like a faithful partner. A faithful partner. So in my marriage... Yes, there is some element of choice, obviously, in terms of choosing who I I marry. There's some discernment that goes into that. But then once I've made a choice of whom to marry, we commit to each other through thick and thin. We make a commitment to hang in there and to work things out in our relationship. We're also committed not to changing our minds on, on a whim, not to just changing our minds for any old reason. Uh, yeah, I mean, if there are some really serious failures, obviously there's an allowance for that. But I don't revisit this choice every time I'm disappointed or every time I'm hurt or every time I'm tired. And in my marriage relationship, we're committed to each other's flourishing and we're committed to the flourishing of our relationship. And so over time, we make regular investments in our relationship, regular small investments, day by day, week by week, month by month, we, we continue to invest. We spend time together. We stay in touch with each other. And we look for ways to have shared experiences together. So for Anita and me, that's uh, trying to have a regular date night, which are more challenging when our kids were at home when they were younger. And now that they're grown, it's a lot easier for us. To, most Friday nights, we're able to have a date night where we have dinner together. We spend the evening and a shared experience, things that we enjoy doing together. Weeknights, when it's possible, we try to spend some time cuddling on the couch together after dinner. Um, now we're task oriented too so we do set a timer sometimes <laughs> you know you don't want to get carried away with these things uh, no I'm totally kidding um, but we do yeah, well, the point is we make regular investments in our time together and because we are task oriented sometimes we have to schedule that and say no we're going to block out this time and we're going to spend this time together and so the, and also the focus is not so much on am I happy right now But on, are we loving and serving each other well? Are we growing together? Are we moving in the direction together that we feel called to as a couple? Because that's really what's at the core of long-term satisfaction, long-term happiness and joy. So... Which of these different kind of relationships is most like a commitment to a local congregation, to a local church? For many of us, this will be our commitment here at Mount Joy Mennonite. For those of you who are connected to other congregations, you have a commitment there. Which of the kind of relationships I described is, is your church membership or your commitment to your local church most like? Well, if you think of it like a customer, if you think of it from a customer's mindset, you think the, the kinds of things that I mentioned. Um, I'm in charge of the relationship. I choose how often I engage. I choose how deeply to engage. The focus is on what I want and pleasing me. It's the focus is on my experience and how satisfied I am today. That can also come from a um, relating to God that way where I relate to God like a customer. And I think God's main job, main function is to provide for me to meet my expectations, to solve the problems in my life. And when that's not happening, I start to get kind of restless and upset with God. But then as it relates to the church, I expect the church to provide goods and services to me that please me. And when that doesn't happen, I think, well, I'm a customer, so I'll just change my mind. I'll pick a different one. I go somewhere else to where, where those things are more to my liking. After all, I'm not really invested in its future or its flourishing. That's really someone else's responsibility. And if it goes away like my favorite restaurant does, I'll just go to another one. Or, if you think of it like more like a faithful partner, you're saying, well, yeah, there's a process, process of discernment in deciding where to land in a congregational commitment, but once I, once I do that, then I commit. I commit to my brothers and sisters in that congregation through thick and thin. I hang in there, and I work things out, and I, I don't revisit that commitment every time I'm disappointed or hurt or a little bit tired, Obviously, for really serious failures or major changes, that's completely understandable. But we're committed to each other's flourishing and to the flourishing of the congregation that we, that we share together. So we make regular investments in our time together, in our connections in the congregation. We spend time together. We stay in touch. We look for opportunities to have shared experiences. We make sacrifices for each other. Those kinds of things are what we are doing as a faithful partner. And the focus again is not so much on am I happy right now but on are we loving and serving together? Are we growing together? Are we serving God's purpose for us together? The challenge for us is I think for all of us is that we are all, those of us who are following Jesus are disciples but we think like customers. We're disciples, we're faithful partners to the Lord Jesus, but we think like customers. I don't don't know how aware you are. I I feel like maybe I'm more aware of this because I'm I'm sort of reading about cultural trends. I I feel like our culture is shaping us to think like customers. And so this is true for all of us. We wanna be faithful followers of Jesus, but we're also, uh, a customer mindset is deeply ingrained in us by the forces that, that surround us all day long. They're training us to think and live like customers. And Jesus calls us, on the other hand, to live and think like family members or like faithful partners. So we have this tension that we live with. And I'm just saying that because we all live with that. This is not something I'm telling you is true for certain people. This is true for all of us. This is the cultural air that we breathe, the time we live in. So, and I think church membership is not a marriage commitment, obviously but it's also not completely at the other end of a customer relationship. It's somewhere somewhere in between there. But it's certainly, more than, it's certainly more than joining a loyalty program to my grocery store, or to picking a favorite restaurant, or signing up for a gym membership. Because our call is to think and to live like true brothers and sisters, like family members, faithful partners to each other. One church website says it like this, Christianity is a we faith, not a me faith. It says if your if your version of Christianity doesn't absolutely require you to be in a community, you do not understand the Christian faith. I thought that line was helpful. Christianity is a we faith, not a me faith. So maybe it would be helpful for us to think of this like a scale or a continuum, where on the one end we have customer thinking, and on the other end we have family member or faithful partner thinking. And I think the question for you to consider is, where, is, where do I land on that in terms of how I think about my commitments to a congregation, or even, to it, or even my basic commitment to Christ? Do I think of it more like a customer, or do I think of that more like a, a family member or like a partner? The scripture passage that Jen and Luke read for us this morning from Mark 8, Jesus warns his disciples not to live mainly for themselves. In this passage, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to happen to him. He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. And Peter takes him aside and reprimands him. In the NIV, it says Peter rebuked him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? Jesus. Well, Peter had the confidence in his relationship and his understanding to rebuke Jesus. And then it says Jesus in turn rebuked Peter for doing that. And he said, you're, you're not, you're not uh, representing God's perspective here. Now, I don't know that we can say that Peter was thinking like a customer because customer uh, mindset is something that came along much later. But clearly, had, Peter clearly had his own ideas about how Jesus' life should unfold, about the things that sh- Jesus should be doing Peter had expectations. He had his own good ideas. You might even say he had his own vision for Jesus' life and for Jesus' ministry. His vision likely included um, the assumption that God would free the Jews from their Roman overlords. And all of the, uh, the victory and triumph that you and I think of is connected to Jesus' second coming, most of the Jews of Jesus' time had connected to his first coming because no one before Jesus came thought that there would be a first and a second coming. It was understood that it would all happen at the same time. And there's no reason they would have thought otherwise because there was no real suggestion of that at the time. So Peter was expecting that all of the, the, the victory and the triumph that's prophesied for the Messiah, would be would, that Jesus would bring all of that about. And so when Jesus started saying, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be killed, Peter knows that can't possibly be true because he knows Jesus is the Messiah. Those things were what God had in mind for Jesus' future, but they were not what Peter had in mind, or what Peter envisioned for him. So Peter reprimands Jesus. He rebukes him. Now, that may seem a little ridiculous to us, but as I said, he was confident in his understanding and in his relationship with Jesus to be, able to, enough to, go to be able to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, stop it. Why are you saying these things? You're misleading people. What are you doing? We know that's not what happens to the Messiah. That's not how the Messiah's story ends. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to give up your own way. You need to take up your cross In other words, and he means by that to die to yourself, to give up your ambitions for yourself, to let me totally redefine your expectations for your life, for my situ, for my life. Or we might paraphrase it today to say, Jesus was saying, uh, you can't follow me if you're thinking like a customer, if you're insisting on being in charge, because that's just not how it works in my kingdom. If you insist on what you want, you aren't truly following me. If you insist that I meet your expectations, Jesus is saying, you aren't truly following me. If you want to truly follow me, you have to let go of your ambitions and your expectations like I did, like I, Jesus, did. Philippians 2 says he set aside his privileges, he set aside his prerogatives to carry out the mission of God, to participate in the mission of God, and to come in person, in flesh, in the flesh, to die for on our, on our behalf. And then he says, in this passage, he says, uh, what will it benefit you to gain the whole world but lose your soul? I think another way we might paraphrase that is to say, in the end, Jesus might say, let's say you get everything you want. You get all the stuff you want. You have all of the experiences you want. You have all the amazing photos of your life that you want to post. But if in doing so you turn away from me, what have you really gained? If the pursuit of those things turns you away from me, what have you really gained in your life? So what do we do with this? What do you and I do with this teaching, with this passage of Scripture? If we really are disciples who think like customers... If our sort of default mindset is the mindset of a customer, how do we shift the needle? How do we move our mark on that scale a little bit more toward faithful partner or family member? How can we reset our approach to following Jesus or to participating in our congregation? Well, I think it's important to be aware that this is happening. And so I think this morning, part of what I'm raising this for is just for your awareness because I think that we kind of live our lives under the cons- customer assumptions and aren't really aware of that and how it's impacting, how it infiltrates all of our thinking. I think it's important to resist it in our thinking, to resist it in our thinking. It might be helpful to re-listen to the sermon, look, at, or if you were taking notes, to look back over that list of characteristics of the two different approaches, the two different mindsets, and be honest before God about how your approach to following Jesus has, has what, what mindset it's been coming from or what mindset you're drawing on. I, it's, you resist it in your thinking by engaging with God's people in a meaningful and profound way. But I think even more profoundly, a more transformative way is to resist in our habits. When we can resist in our mindset, but until it impacts our habits and the way we approach things, it's not really gonna change our lives and the way we function. So I'm gonna list three habits that we can, uh, three habits I would encourage you to, to, to look for in your own life. Some of you are already well along on these things. Some of us are doing them all very well. And you may not be realizing that these habits are shaping you in a faithful partner direction, that they're doing a great job of shaping you into being a faithful partner. But if not, I would urge you to take these on and to see what, what God may be asking of you in these three different areas. And the first habit is Surrender. A regular habit of surrender. A surrender habit is something that is important for us if we're, if we're being trained every day, broadly speaking, to think you, I'm in charge as a customer. A, a surrender, when you surrender, you're basically saying, no, I'm not in charge. I'm giving up my being in chargeness. I'm giving up this idea or this capacity I have to be in charge. So the first habit is to fully surrender your life and your will to Jesus. When you do that, you can then ask for his help to transform your mind. Romans 12 says, let, uh, let your mind be, trans- uh, that you can be transformed in your mind by the work of the Holy Spirit within us. By the renew- your mind can be renewed, and you can be transformed as you follow him. Ask him to renew and transform your thinking, your passions. And I think surrender is not just something you do once. As I said, it's a habit that shapes our lives. As we regularly surrender, we, we regularly, um, our, our sense of being in charge of our lives reemerges. And so it's a, an important habit to develop and to cultivate. The second habit is to join. Second habit is to join, to lean in, to deepen your connections to other people, to join in with God's people. And as I said, many of us are already doing this, um, and, and we're, you may not realize the good fruit it's producing in your life. But the, uh, the frequency with which you engage in worship with other people, that you serve together as our young people did on this trip that you heard about this morning. The frequency that, in which you engage in something like a next steps group uh, in the second hour on Sundays or a small group or a service team, something like that. Joining, leaning in. The more that you invest in those things here in the congregation, the more connected you're gonna feel. The less you invest in those things, the less connected you're gonna feel. One of the questions I wonder is, do, um, that you might want to ask is, do you ever schedule around those connections in the congregation? Or do you fit them in as, as best you can around all of the other commitments that you have in your life? To all the other things that you want to do. Another, another way to join would be to share a meal with people in the congregation who are outside your usual friend and family group. I know that's been a little difficult in the last little while. It's one of the things needed. I have been talking about recently. We want to re-engage that as we move forward to have people uh, either in our homes to share a meal with or to get together, uh, go out to our favorite restaurants, either way. But investing in those relationships as faithful partners, not focused on what I can get out of it or just pleasing me, but investing in those relationships and paying attention to the other person. So surrender, a regular habit of surrender, a regular habit of joining or joining in, and a third habit of serving. Serving your brothers and sisters, serving your neighbors regularly. Serving is one of the best ways to, to battle our self-focus or our self-absorption. And as I said, I know that many of us are serving probably to the limits of our capacity right now, depending on your situation, and other, others of us are not. Um, but the focus in serving is on um, what's good and helpful for the other person. The focus is not on me building my resume as a disciple. Say, look at all these wonderful things I'm doing. The the point of, because then I'm focused on myself again. Somehow I've turned service into building up my own resume. No, the point of serving is to lay down my life for other people. One of my sweetest memories of of several years ago here in our congregation was one afternoon I was in the office here and I got a phone call and it was a Bob Hurd Jr. Not all of you will know Bob, but he was a wonderful, uh, pure-hearted man who uh, was a servant at heart and uh, was really uh, working to grow in his life and in, in, in following God's leading when he died of cancer. So this, after, this one afternoon he called, uh, my, called me in the office and he said, hey, Carl, uh, how are you doing? Checking in. And he said, I wondered if, how can I pray for you today? I don't remember exactly what my answer was to him, because what I do remember is that I discovered in talking to him that he was lying on a bed in the recovery unit at the cancer center after having received his cancer treatment. In a situation where we would all have thought, Bob, of course you're thinking about yourself and your recovery, and you're calling your pastor to say, could you, Carl, please pray for me? But Bob was lying in the recovery unit at the cancer center praying for you and me, praying for the congregation. So he called me for laying there in the bed, you know, weakened from his treatment and said, how can I pray for you? I've never forgotten that and I don't think I ever will. What a wonderful example of serving, serving your brothers and sisters. So one simple way to do this for you might be to pay attention to the prayer update that we send out every two weeks. We just sent one out earlier this past week. Every other week we send out an update about prayer concerns. I'd urge you to pray through those needs, to call the people that are listed there, to send them a text or a a note of encouragement, to sign up for a meal, take them a meal. Uh, We have two meal trains running right now. Uh, if you haven't engaged, that, i encourage you to do that. It's a wonderful way to bless someone else and to serve them. Or look for an, another way you can do this is to serve here in the congregation. Um, Ryan mentioned several things that are coming up. We need uh, volunteers to help do all of those things. And I'd urge you to, to lean in by serving. Or lean into reaching your neighbors for Christ, whether they're the neighbors where you live or the neighbors as we reach out together here as a congregation I'd urge you to lean into serving, again, with the focus on what's good and helpful to the other person, not just what I want to do. Offering hospitality to other people and paying attention to what their needs are. It's hard to, um, to serve in that spirit and maintain a, a really profound focus on yourself. <clears throat> and as we do this, remember that you and I, as I said, are disciples who think like customers, but realize we're also missionaries to a culture of customers, we're missionaries in a culture of customers. That's just the environment in which we seek to follow God and seek to call people to surrender their lives to him. So my invitation to you this morning is to, wherever you are on that, on that meter of customer to faithful partner, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and what it means for you to move your needle a little bit more toward the faithful partner end in all aspects, but especially as you connect here in the congregation and as you connect with your friends, as you think about your marriage and your mindset with which you approach your marriage, and let's see what happens. Let's see what happens as we invite the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to develop us as faithful partners and to help us be countercultural in a time when we're all thinking like, trained to think like customers. Who knows what God may do? Who knows what God may do? But let's, let's reach in that direction together as a congregation. Lord, what a privilege it is, what an incredible privilege it is to be invited to be your partners, to be invited to be your children and your servants, to be your partners. Lord, you know the culture and the times in which we live. You know the ways our minds are shaped right now. And Lord, we offer that to you and we ask you to to make it clear to us where we're approaching our relationship with you mostly like customers, and where we're approaching our relationships with each other, mostly like customers, thinking, what can I get out of this? Lord, we, at, at our heart, that's not what we want. It's just, it's just so hard to resist in this, in this setting and in this time. And Lord, we invite your transforming power and your transforming grace in our lives. Show us in our habits how to, how to adjust those in a way that help to train us in the right directions. And Holy Spirit, we invite your power to be at work within us, to mold us and shape us into the faithful partners that you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.